Good morning. Uh, we're in a series right now called Gather, Grow, Go. And for the next, uh, we started last week for these three weeks, we're looking intently at our mission statement as a people. And I think that's important. I think it's important to look at what it is you say you are and not only discuss that as a family, but I think we should be able to communicate that clearly with our community at large, don't you? Because that, I believe that as much as the vision we cast is important, I think the culture we create is equally as important, okay? So if it's okay, I wanna bring our mission statement up for us. Let's look at it. It says, or I'll just say it. Doing whatever it takes to develop disciples of Jesus who gather, grow, and go. We talked about gathering last week, but I wanna point something out about this before I move on. The first line says, doing whatever it takes. It doesn't say, doing whatever I like. And it doesn't say, doing whatever I want. But it says, doing whatever it takes to develop disciples of Jesus who gather, grow, and go. Today we'll talk about growing, and we're going to talk about what it takes to grow, what it takes to develop as a disciple who grows. But before we do, I want to just recap gathering a little bit. If you weren't here last week, just to help you come along and, and, and help us understand where we are. Gathering, by definition, the Bible implies, is for the reason of spurring one another on unto love and good deeds, Hebrews 10 says. It's that we would recognize that we couldn't gather uh, apart from what Jesus did. It says that because of who he was, the Father sent the Son, gave him a body, put blood in his veins so that body could be broken and that blood be spilled to atone for us and give us the opportunity to have access to the Father, that we could be gathered to him. And that was the only way that we could ever be gathered to him because sin stood between us. There was a veil that was torn. That veil in Hebrews 10 was his body, forever giving us access to the Father through Jesus. So we gather because of what Jesus did. We also gather why Jesus came. So we gather because of why he came. It's because he loved us so much. He loved us enough to come and give himself so that we could be gathered to the Father and know his true love. How many of you recognize that the world's love is tainted, right? It's conditional. So he wanted us to know the love that was really intended for us. So we gather because of what Jesus did and why Jesus did it. And so that we can come here and spur one another on to love and good deeds. What that means is this that we are naturally, we have an old life, 2 Corinthians 5 says, we are naturally selfish. And that we're not to return to our old ways, but to walk in a new way of living, Hebrews 10 says, and walk in this new life, 2 Corinthians 5 says. The only way we do that is to be made aware of how selfish we actually are. Now, how many of you have recognized in a selfish and you know, a hard world that we live in, skeptical world, life gets heavy sometimes, right? And how many of you need friends or family that'll lift your arms, people you can trust to come alongside you and lift your arms? Well, just like Moses had his arms lifted by Aaron and Hur, we too, we face troubling times at times, and we need the body, people that we can trust, who know us, we're vulnerable with, we're honest with, then come alongside and lift our arms. We also need people who will remind us that we're to walk like Jesus and to not be selfish. And how many of you have had a tendency at least one day in your life, just once, where you went back to your old selfish ways a little bit. And you had a loving friend who loved you enough to be honest with you, came alongside and said, hey, that looks like the old you. That's not, that's not the new you. That's not the new you that Jesus died for so you could look and reflect his image. 
So how many of you are grateful for that person that is honest with you when you need to hear honest truth? They love you enough to be honest, okay? So that's sharpening one another like iron sharpens iron. And when iron hits iron, it grinds and sparks come and things fall off. There are tendencies that we have taught ourselves in a broken world, we've gotten into a rhythm and habit that, that make us go back to our old way more than we do walk in the new way. We don't have to be trained to be selfish. We just are. But we have to be retrained to be selfless. Amen? And it takes the sharpening of those that love us and we love to speak truth into our lives and to challenge us, to spur us on. So that is the point of gathering. The point of gathering is that we would profess and move forward, that we'd be made aware of the places where we need to change. But doing whatever it takes to grow is the next step. That means this, growth is the process of once we know we need to make a change, doing whatever it takes to make that change and to walk in the new way. It's the development process. It's developing a new way, a healthy way, a new rhythm that gets us to look more like the thing we're supposed to be and the thing that we uh, like and to leave the thing that we were. It's the new way, not the old way. Okay. So I think it's important to go ahead and throw that out as we get started. I love Dallas Willard. He's one of my favorite theologians of all time. And I've quoted him quite a bit, but I want to encourage you that, uh, that Dallas Willard uh, not only was a brilliant theologian who understood the disciplines of what it meant to walk in this new way in Jesus, but when I, he also was a baseball fan. And I'm a baseball guy, okay? Any baseball fans? Okay, so when I found the theologian that I love, quote, using a baseball example, I had to use it, right? So here it is. Dallas Willard says, a baseball player who expects to excel in the game without adequate exercise of his body is no more ridiculous than a Christian who hopes to be able to act in a manner of Christ when put to the test without the appropriate exercise in godly living. I, I'm going to share with you where my life hit this full force, right in front of me, 100%. I had showed up on my college campus to play baseball on a scholarship. And when I got there, I was meeting with my coach. It was just kind of getting indoctrinated to the whole system. It was new. I was a freshman. And he sat down with me and said, man, I'm so glad you're here. Glad you were able to make it on the campus. Everything going well? Yes, we got to have a talk. Wait, what? He looked at me and goes, I need to talk to you right now because season's coming and it's not slowing down. It's going to pick up really fast. I said, okay, what is it, coach? He goes, um, you have to put on about 40 pounds. And I said, wait, what? He goes, you need to gain weight because I know that you know how to play this game, but what you don't realize is you're about to stand up against people like this. And he shows me a picture of Ivan. Ivan is a catcher that he has recruited to play for him, but actually went to a different school in our league. Ivan's 6'5", about 400 pounds, and he's a catcher. I've been recruited to, to bat either first or second in the lineup. And so that means when you bat first or second in the lineup, most likely to steal home when given the opportunity to steal home, it's going to be you. You're not slow, okay? So he said, I can't do this. I can't have you in your current stature and state stand on third base and send you home to steal home against Ivan. Ivan's going to see you coming like a Christmas ham. <laughs> and he's going to snap you like a twig. And so... You're no good to me on the bench, in a hospital bed, or in Ivan's stomach. So I need you 
to learn how to eat for this level of play. I need to change your diet, change your workout rhythm, change everything about how you discipline your body to compete at this level. Because while you know how to play this game, you do not know how to play at this level. And that was a really humbling and honest conversation. And when he showed me a picture of Ivan, guess what? I was hugging the man. I was incredibly grateful because Ivan's huge. And he's exactly right. The truth is you don't look the way you did when you were three. You didn't, you didn't look the same at three when you were 10 or 15 or 20. And when you got into your 30s, you faced an entirely different set of circumstances that if your life before it hadn't prepared you for, you wouldn't be ready for. Amen? So it's with that said, we're gonna look at a couple uh, a portion of Hebrews 10 that I really think gets into this. But before I do, I want to remind us a really important passage in Matthew 22. And, and this is the first and greatest commandment, okay? When Jesus is asked, what are the first, what's the most important command? What's the greatest, okay? I just want to bring it up. Here it is. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and the second greatest commandment was this. He said, the first is just as important as the second. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can I just ask a question before we read into Hebrews 10 and we get further into the need to grow and why we grow and why we do whatever it takes to grow. Can I just ask this question? How many of you do that every day really well? You love him with the entirety of who you are and your neighbor knows it because of the way you love them selflessly. Okay, so how many would all agree with me before we read Hebrews 10 that we all need to grow? Amen. Here we go. Hebrews 10, verse 22. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read this because I think this is really important. We're going to focus in on one verse specifically today, but uh, it's wrapped around some really important verses. So here it is. Verse 22, and let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance of that faith brings. Having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure blood, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing and encouraging one another, all the more as we see the day approaching. Here's that important verse. We're gonna zero in on today. Verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fear and expectation of judgment of a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Father, we love you and we thank you so much that you loved us and gave us Jesus. And we ask as we look at this text, open our minds and hearts, and I pray by the power of your spirit, you just do surgery on us, help us be aware of the places that need to change, help us to be aware of the people that can help us grow, and may we be obedient to do both. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me be seated. <coughs> Excuse me. How many of you have been fighting a little bit of the crud recently? Had it this week? Wow, was that fun. Okay? Getting over it myself, so I'm working hard. You can work with me, pray for me. Here we go. I'm going to give you my main point today, and we're going to discuss it. I'm going to go pack, unpack that, uh, that important verse, verse 26. But here's my main point. Growth is the result of exercising healthy disciplines that develop a new rhythm of living. 
So growth is the result of exercising healthy, in this case, spiritual disciplines that develop a new rhythm or a way of living. The reason that uh, verse 26 is our key verse and it's so important, I'll bring it up in a moment. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. The reason that's important is this. You gotta understand who Hebrews author is writing to again. This is a group of Messianic Jews who have stepped out of Judaism because they've made a decision to follow Jesus and they wanna walk in the ways of Jesus. However, as this, as this letter is being written, the author is very aware that two thirds of this body that he's writing to, two thirds of them have already begun to practice their old ways. They've already gone back to sacrifices that they had practiced when they were in Judaism, actually holding more to those than they are the work of Jesus. And so he knows as he's writing, this is kind of like this whole passage is a kind of like a warning shot across the bow. It's like, hey, wake up, don't, don't go back there because they're already starting to make a turn towards their old life and they're starting to practice and they're, they're going back to their old rhythms, their old ways. He goes, no, Jesus died so that you'd have a new and living way, that you wouldn't have to do any of this, that you would be free completely of it. But like many of us, they would kind of shake their heads and go, yeah, 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 I hear that. However, we want to do this too, just to be safe. You ever done that? Ever been listening to someone, but not really listening? And just to get them to shut up, you kind of go, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's kind of the audience that he's writing to. And they're looking to him going, okay, yeah, 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 but just in case. And so that is, listen, folks, that's gospel plus. And what the Hebrews author is trying to tell us is there's no plus. It's either the gospel or it's nothing. It is solely about what Jesus did or it's not. And so he's writing to these people as a, a final challenge, like a warning, like, please don't go back to your old way. Continue to strive forward. About a third of the, of the body, the, the least educated, the most like fully in. And I love that because that third is kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the toddlers of the group that he's writing to. They completely bought into Jesus and they completely followed like, like trusted completely like children. And what did Jesus say? You can't come to me unless you come to me like what? A child, they just trusted implicitly so he can admonish them. But the two thirds, he's going, do not get too big for yourself. Don't overthink this. It's gonna be really hard to walk in this very simple truth for the rest of your life. Don't go back and hinder yourself, walk forward. So here's what, here's what I would say to unpack it a little further. Knowledge is not enough. Obedience is required over sacrifice. That's what God wanted. To know the truth and to not do it is sin. That's what he's telling them. Even though their, their responses were religious, we're not talking about crazy, heinous sin here. We're talking about they're going into the temple and practicing all these sacrifices. But he's saying, you, you know full well what, the, what we've taught you about what Jesus did. And you responded to that full well. You know that what Jesus did abolished sin and all this Judaic need for sacrifices, but yet you continue practicing it. Why would you continue to walk in a way that you know has already been removed? Why would you already walk, why would you walk in something you already know is wrong? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever had this conversation with friends of yours who find themselves living like prodigals? Maybe they were with you at one point in the church and they come to you and they go, I just don't know what to do. My life's a wreck. And you go, you know what to do. You just won't do it. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Where people are just, 
They're their own hindrance. They're their own stumbling block. They continue to create for themselves problems because they continue to practice habits that are poor for them. And those habits are leading to their death. He's saying, even if it looks pretty because it happens in the church, even if it happens in a religious setting, it could be intimate and you may be intimately gathering But if you're continuing to do practices that are empty, that's exactly what you'll find in the end. Emptiness. Those do nothing. Do not place your your ultimate faith in those things. Spurring one another on is the place where we become aware of those problems. But Jesus is saying, if we're going to grow, the point of growing is to develop a new way of living that allows the truth that we've learned to become a practice, a pattern for ourselves, a new rhythm to replace the old entirely. And it's to take on his tendencies over our own selfish ones. So um, I've used this example before. I'm going to use multiple examples today, but I hope that it lands. Here it is. Francis Chan says like this. If I came to my daughter and I said, honey, I want you to clean your room. And I walk away and I go do whatever I need to do for a couple hours. I come back to her and I ask her, baby, did you clean your room? And she goes, well, no. But what I did do was... I called up some of my friends and we all got together and I told them what you said. And so we went to the scriptures and we found out how to say clean your room in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. We learned how to say it. And then we thought a lot about what it would look like if I actually cleaned my room. We sat down in the room, held hands and prayed on that. And then we sent money to some missionaries but did you clean your room? No. You see, what we're talking about here is the old way may have been to discuss, to study, to memorize lofty things devoid of obedience. Let me say that again. To do a lot of things that look religious and sound really impressive, but devoid of obedience. The new way is immediate obedience to him. Clean your room. Okay. Did you clean your room? Yes. Do you know that when you say yes to him, that is how we get a smile from Jesus. That is worship. So in all that we do, our obedience to him is worship. The author is addressing this group because they, he knows that what they have been taught is the truth, but they have walked away from practicing said truth. They've gone to, okay, like we want to have one foot in one camp and one foot in another just in case. It's kind of like my friend who was raised in New Orleans. My friend was raised in New Orleans. His dad was a pastor. And one night he had all the deacons of his church over for dinner. And while they were there, they got a call that one of their parishioners was sick. And so they found out she was really ill and she was going to the hospital. And so the guys under the direction of the pastor stopped and prayed, held hands, and they were praying for the sick. And then the, the son, my friend, heard the next portion. And he was there to watch them pray as the church should respond, putting their faith and hope in him. But then a couple of the men go, okay, here's what we need to do. We need to go find a cat, kill it, hang it 10 feet in a tree, and, and then do like a voodoo practice tied to that as well. Just what? Just in case. How many of you know people in your life who are living around practices that are unhealthy just in case, even if those unhealthy practices are religious. And so he's saying, don't do that. 
You cannot have knowledge of what God desires and not do it and think you're going to be okay. He says there is no sacrifice that is left for that. He goes, only judgment. And he's trying to tell them emphatically, this is really important. You can't miss this. This is not something you mess around with because you stand in the way of people that I really care about who are in a broken world that I sent my son to die for. If you know the truth, but yet you practice lies that are empty. If you don't practice in the truth and develop a new way of living, they never hear the gospel, thus they are judged as well. So it's responsibility of the church to mature and grow in the new way and not go back to its old way. It's not good enough. It's not good enough just because you always did it that way. That's not a good enough answer. It's not okay that you formed a tradition that buried a habit out of it. That's not okay. If you can't tell me why and you can't point to that habit being healthy and and growing you in Jesus, it is not worth doing. And so he's saying, we can't just, we can't do that. He says that judgment comes and you go, well, I mean, that seems pretty heavy handed. Let me read it again for you. If we deliberately keep on sinning to a religious people is who he's talking to. This ain't the prodigals. After we've received the knowledge of the truth, there's no sacrifice for sins that is left. I need us to feel the weight of that. Do you understand? Like, it's not playtime. He is saying, you can't continue to, you can't say you trust this and not live this. You can't trust this and live something else. That's playing around at the gospel. That's playing around at the foot of the cross. And that don't play for me. He's going, I don't work like that. It's either all in or all out. When he was challenged in the gospel of Mark, when we just went through that a few months ago by the Pharisees and they asked him, uh, by whose power he was able to cast out demons because they could clearly see that he had a supernatural power. They actually thrust on him that he was casting out by Beelzebub. And Jesus laughs at it because it's kind of ridiculous. The math doesn't work. Why would the enemy, why would the devil, Satan, cast himself out? Especially if he's winning, if he's overthrowing someone. That doesn't make any sense. But he said to them, the only unforgivable sin was that, that blasphemy. Like to know the truth, to be able to experience that there is something supernatural about this person and then to say that it's not of God, but to throw on that person that it's of the enemy. That is unforgivable. And so here he reads, he goes, to know the truth and to not do it, unforgivable. Hello? I mean, and this is like with a grace from God that doesn't exist here on this planet, like except in the, the, in the love of God being practiced by his people. God is a God of a million chances. How many of us know that? We've experienced that. But he's talking to a people who are not, they're playing with fire. They're not taking those, those chances. They're going, I can do whatever I want because I'm already covered. I got a priest. He's going, Whoa. Like you're acting like you're, you're going to a priest back here, but you had one high priest that covered it all and took care of it. You can't continue to play that way. It's one or the other. And so my question to you folks is this, while we may not play quite like he is, uh, the, uh, the Hebrews did, and we argue 
back and forth like the Hebrews did with him? How many of us fall prey to being just like the Hebrews because we are doing some really old things that have become habit just because they become tradition. They actually end up empty for us. They do not lead us towards the new way. They're rhythms that have been put in who we are that need to be broken off as well. They're just as religious and they're maybe not considered quote unquote bad, but you know what? They're not leading to life and they're not leading us to walk in this new way. And there's a problem because he says, I don't play with that. Hello? So God cares more about the redemption of mankind wholly than he does your or my preferences. So when your practices stand in the way of others receiving the truth that you or I have rejected by continued disobedience and a practice that's empty, then you and I are in the way of what God is trying to do with all of humanity in this earth. Let me, let me say that again. Who wants to be in the way of God? I don't. I wanna join him in what he's doing but for me to join him, what, what he's doing, that's gonna take doing whatever it takes. That's not doing what I want. That's not doing what I like because what I want, what I like is naturally selfish. Hey, there's no one in here that loves me as much as I do, right? Can I admit that? Well, I can because there's no one in here that loves you like you do. I mean, I've watched, you love you. And truth is growing is developing. And practice makes permanent. Growing is about developing. Practice and healthy practice makes permanent. How are we to develop in our practices based on the knowledge of the truth that we have a new and living way, which Hebrews 10, 20 tells us. This requires retraining our minds. That's why I said in Romans 12, that we have to renew our minds, that we can't think the way that we once did and be transformed by that renewing. It takes intentional time and it takes intentional development over time. It doesn't happen immediately. Look, I gotta tell you, when I met with my coach and he said, you have to eat differently, you have to train differently, that took time. It took months, 40 pounds wasn't put on in a day, but it was over months so that when time season started, I was ready. I was ready and I was able to make it through that season without much injury. It seems like we have this ability to accept if I look at you and I say, guys, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to follow the call of God. I'm gonna become a doctor. In your minds, you all immediately go, okay, hold on. Justin, you're gonna become a doctor. That means you have to go to school for eight plus years, okay? You're immediately going to school for a long time. It's gonna require a lot of reading. You're gonna to have to do your you know, uh, residency, you're gonna have to intern, you're gonna have to learn from some of the best, specifically if you're gonna be a surgeon. And then you gotta have hours of practice before they're gonna let you go in to the practice of, of medicine. You've gotta pass a bar, you've gotta stand before a board, you have, there's an accountability process, but it's gonna take a lot of time and effort and energy. It's not gonna just happen, okay? If I tell you that, how many of you go, that seems like a lot of work, that's gonna be a, a minute to become a doctor, okay? We understand that, okay. But when I look at you and I say, but I, but I wanna become like Jesus. And our, our typical Western response is, okay, well, if you just show up here once a week and if you maybe send money to a mission organization every once in a while and like, you know, 
slap, high five your small group once in a while, you're good. Hold on. So to become a doctor is going to take years of intentional effort and investment, and we all get that. But to become like Jesus, the healer, the great physician, like the one who created all the doctors, all of them, just phone it in and that'll work. Does it make sense? See, folks, that math does not add up. And that's what I'm talking about. We are naturally selfish, yet we are expected to become selfless like God. He expects that of us. He expects that of his church. It takes discipline. It takes honesty, honesty with yourself and honest with others. It takes teachability and it takes grace, a whole lot of grace with yourself, with other people. You might say, well, I just, I just want to be with my Bible study and my closest friends, and we just want to be awesome together for like forever. I'd say that's fine. As long as your Bible study is informing your actions and you can show me a changed life because of an exercise plan that has led to a new rhythm in your life that you're learning by the Bible. If that Bible is revealing to you that Jesus is not like you and you're looking and shaping, becoming like him, that's fine. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of a child behind me. Why? Because it isn't okay to keep doing what you've always done just because. It shows no growth and it's childish. People of true maturity are constantly self-evaluating and seeking to improve. But listen to this, people of immaturity, I need us to evaluate which one we find ourselves in. And it may not be in every area of our life, but I need you to zero in on the areas that, where this is clear. People of immaturity are constantly self-depending, constantly self-deflecting. When people bring stuff up to you, how quick are you to defend? How quick are you to deflect? That's not me. Showing little teachability, maybe no teachability, thus showing no growth. In your life group this week, we're gonna look at something intentionally. And I encourage you, if you're not in a life group, to find one. Because this week, we're gonna look intentionally. Because growth and growing in the way of Jesus can seem daunting and seem massive. So I'm gonna actually zero us in right here in this service and right here in your, in your life group. And the place that Jesus actually said was the most important. It challenges, um, he challenged us most about our devotion and faith to him. And it was found in Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, 24, he says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. Listen to the aggressive language of Jesus. Love one, hate the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other altogether. You cannot serve both God and money. And so Jesus said, the place that you and I struggle the most in walking in a faith that is grounded in him and looks like him is actually with the challenge of money and all that it brings us. Because here's the thing, when we make, it's not money that's the problem, let me say that. But we make love, the love of money, that's the root of all evil, that's the problem. When we love money and all that it brings us, status, wealth, assurance, whatever it is, when we place our faith there, we actually say, I'm gonna go ahead and worship me, but I, but I do appreciate the, the free ticket to heaven. That would be cool too in the end. Hello? 
When we, he is saying here, if I'm going to clothe the birds of the air and I'm going to take care of the fish of the sea, then I'm going to take care of you. How much more will I take care of you? Matthew 6 says. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added. Matthew 6, 33. But what I, I want to pinpoint in, and if it's okay, can I just, you know, let's, let's make this a small group for a second. Has anyone learned what happens when you have no intention to saving your money and you don't live on a disciplined budget? How much money do you have in the end? Zero, right. That's the result. If you spend recklessly on yourself and save nothing, guess how much is there? Nothing. The question I have is, are your finances ruling you or are you ruling your finances? And I gotta be able to ask that of the church because here's the thing. Can I just say this? When someone asks you, why'd you buy that? As a Christian, when you say, because I could, that's never a good enough answer, ever. Does it make sense? Because that shows no intention, it shows no design. It doesn't matter if you can. That's showing what? Does that show whatever it takes or does that show whatever I want? That's showing whatever I want. It's showing whatever I like. It's because I can. That's never a good enough answer. And when we don't have a budget and we don't work on a budget, there's nothing there in the end. The math just simply doesn't work in another direction. If we can get that, then here's what I want to understand. If you invest nothing in the kingdom, what do you expect in the end? If you don't live your life on a budget for the kingdom and investing in it, why do you expect to have the kingdom in the end? If you say, it's Jesus and he paid the price and I trust that and it's great, I'm in the new covenant. But I live my life over here and I never do anything with that. What assurances do you have? That's what Hebrews is writing about. The author here is writing, what assurances are you actually placing? Because the knowledge that you have is not informing your way of living. You're doing whatever you want, even though you're trusting or hoping that in the end you'll have fire insurance. I say this to draw us to a place of intentional growth that Jesus himself says is our biggest place of misplaced faith. Our idolatry and stuff worships us, not him. This is where we identify with the Jew the most. This is where we actually trample the blood of the covenant, the scripture says, his atoning sacrifice for us. When we place more faith in our bank accounts and what is there or what is not there versus his words and his work in our life. Do you understand that? We're not designed we're not designed to, to like fix that problem. It, it, is, it is a problem. And we either have to choose one or the other. He says, love one, despise the other. He said, there's no way that you'll live over here and actually love me. He says, you'll love this and hate this. You'll devote yourself to this and despise me. Or you'll do this and despise, it's, it's the other way around. He says, one or the other. And so here's what I want to take us back to in gathering. Why would we have to come here and hear this? Why is this important? Because we have to be made aware of it. We have to have someone who loves us enough to be honest with us about that. Someone who comes alongside us and says, 
look, here's the truth that I've been reading because how many of you listen to yourself pretty well? Right? Like the Bible says, preach to yourself. Okay? I would encourage us to preach to ourselves, not listen to ourselves. Because I can tell you what, I'm pretty convincing when I'm in my own head. I can justify any action I'm making. Make sense? So preach to yourself, not listen to yourself. And when I have a listening voice that's so attuned to my own voice inside my head and I'm listening and no matter what you're saying, I'm just going, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not really listening because I'm in here. That's when I need someone to come alongside and go, wake up. Love me enough to be honest with me. Truth won't spur me, spur me on towards love and good deeds. Spur me on towards a way of living that isn't natural for me to turn me back towards him. Hello? This is why we need each other. We were not designed to grow alone. He gave us himself, but he gave us each other. It was never intended that we would go it alone. I cannot, all right. Man, I guess today is vulnerable day. Let me take a step further. I told this to my life group last week and I think it's fair to say. I looked at my life group and I said, here's the problem. You're my life group and I'm supposed to know you and be more connected to you than probably anyone else in the church. But can I say we've not developed a, a culture of honesty in here? Not really. Because the truth is what I'm finding out is some of you, like let's just stay with the area of finances. Let's just stay there for a moment. I'm not gonna get into your marriage. I'm not gonna get into all that stuff. Just talk about your finances. What your life is showing me is your finances are a mess. We've never talked about that. I had a conversation with a guy once and I said, um, so tell me, I, I was, he was like, I want you to help me with the budget. I said, tell me, what, tell me about your tithe. He goes, I don't. I said, well, why? He goes, I just don't have enough money left over. I said, okay, I think that's backwards. So, but but tell me what you mean. He goes, if I just made more, I'd give more. So why don't you pray for me to make more? I said, hold on, brother. I don't think you realize what you're praying for. Because I think what God will do is triple your salary. I think he will, but you've not developed a, a discipline in you right now that's gonna give because when you triple your salary, guess what? I, I promise you still won't give. You still won't be giving to the Lord what he is due. And sure enough, guess what happened? Six months later, tripled his salary. And my brother was struggling to tithe still, still didn't do it. Why? Because he never developed a discipline. If God can trust you in the small, he can trust you in the big. Here's the question, can God trust you? And I looked at my life group and I said, if I can't look at you and ask about your finances, then I'm not your pastor. And if I can't look at you and be honest about your, 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 your finances and how I can see it's a mess and try to help where I can, I'm not your shepherd because you've not let me be that. If you're gonna stiff arm me and not allow that honesty, then you're not letting me be your community at all. Forget about the title shepherd or pastor. I'm not even your, your brother because you're not letting me spur you on. And if I don't let you do the same for me, I've not given you that license, you're not my community. Hello? We are not the church. And that's the point. We are called to do it differently than we have been trained to do it. We've been trained to isolate and, and keep things secret. And the place where we're struggling the most, keep that to ourselves. I will seek to steal, kill, and destroy you, is the enemy. I will come to isolate you and cut you off, 
keep you from anyone else that God intended from you, keep you struggling and keep all your problems in the dark. And you will drown in them and then suffer in the end. But if you'll open yourself up to the light and the light shines in the darkness, the darkness doesn't receive it. But if you open yourself to the light and you walk in it and develop a new way, some new principles, new practices, and you let people be honest with you and you let, you let yourself be honest with yourself, you become someone trustworthy that other people can be, on, be honest with, like let them speak back into, like let you speak back into them then you are going to grow and the church is going to be healthy because that's what we're talking about when we talk about growing, by the way. I'm talking about health. Hello? And spiritually, the church of America has been a little anemic and I don't believe that we're called to be that church. We have to grow. If this is you or me and we're in the vicious cycle that we've been in for tens of years, then we're truly not gathering if we're not able to be honest with each other. And we're not truly growing if we're not developing rhythms that help us walk in the new way. We gotta be honest with ourselves and honest with God. And honest with those he's entrusted us to lead us, to walk with us, come alongside us and to love us so that we can make some changes even today. I wanna, I wanna read a passage from Ephesians, if it's okay, to end this morning. Ephesians 4, I don't, I just want you to listen to it. If you want to read along, you can, but it, it says this. It encompasses all that we're talking about. Until we reach unity in the faith that is the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, they will no longer be infants tossed back to and fro by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of doctrine and by the cunning and the craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow and become in every respect a mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined together, held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love in each part for its work. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. How many of you ever did? I've already heard this. Having lost all sensitivity, they've gone and given themselves over to the sensuality to, as, to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him according to the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught to regard, in this regard the, your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created by, to be like God in true righteousness and in true holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let your sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. But anyone who has been stealing, let him steal no longer. But must work doing something useful with his own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. There has to be a change. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, 
that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, all rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with everything that is a form of malice. But instead be kind, be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. This morning, as a parting question, it's this. Are you teachable? Are you and I developing new rhythms in Jesus that look and sound like him and we have people walking with us to look and sound like him because our growth in him depends on it? In a moment, the band is gonna come and right now I'm gonna pray. And in this prayer, what I'm asking is for each of us to reflect on what God is saying to us individually right now and who in this body we need to maybe be thankful for or grateful for. And maybe today we need to respond individually and corporately simultaneously. So I'm gonna pray. The band's gonna come. I'm gonna lead us. And we're gonna have a chance to practice. We're gonna have a chance to be obedient right here in this room before we ever go out to the world and try to reveal to the world the love of Jesus that has changed us. We get to practice, be thankful for it right here. Father, we love you and we thank you so much that you loved us. And we thank you that it is because of Jesus, our lives can look entirely different. We have a new and living way. But that new and living way takes development. It, It doesn't just happen overnight. And it takes honesty and it takes vulnerability and it takes teachability. And for us to be the church that you died for, it takes us being willing to be open to others and open to the things that you're telling us right now and our willingness does not stand stiff-arming it, but embracing it and embracing the people that you've sat to our right or our left to help us get through it. In this room today, I know there are people that are hurting, they're struggling, there are things that are going on, whether in their marriage or in their finances, in their heart. God, I pray right now by the power of your spirit, you'd find them, that you'd walk through this crowd, you'd seek them out and you'd minister to them and show them that you love them and that you care for them like no one else does and they're safest in your arms. And I pray today that they would find someone to share that with so that they could be the physical manifestation of what you are to them in spirit. This is your church. So Jesus, I pray you'd have your way. It's in your name I ask it. Amen.